But, but uh, it's great when church likes to do church and doing church means being with God's people in a significant way. Yeah. And we're going we're gonna to be looking at that today. We're actually going to be taking another five-minute break uh, before communion as well with a purpose of fellowship plus other things. But um, <clears throat> so uh, let me open this up in prayer. Father, to say that you are a loving God is, is kind of a no-brainer. Um, it, we assume it in so much. In fact, so many of our questions have to do with our definition of love and how is it that you can be loving but yet um, decide this or do that. And Lord, I, I pray this morning that you would confront us with your love that you would confront us with our love and um, that you would help us to see um, who you made us to be. Lord, I, I just pray that you would um, fill me with your spirit at this time. Lord, that you would allow me to speak your words. and Lord, that your truth would ring out. We thank you so much for your truth. Thank you that you didn't leave us groping in the darkness for uh, for what would be and but but you allowed for us to to know you you revealed yourself to us now we ask that you would turn on the light l illuminate your word to our hearts so that we could know you better and lord i just pray these things in jesus name amen you know there's some um, a lot of different types of love out there uh, you know, I can say, I love the Green Bay Packers, right? You'd say, I love my town, I love my home, or I love my house. Um, we've, we've heard of tough love, right? We've heard of the kind of love that says, I love you, but I just don't like you very much right now, <laughs> right? We've, we've heard of that. There's, there's the passionate love reserved for marriage. There is, I love what that does for me, or I love what you do for me. We've heard of puppy love. I never really knew what, why we use the term puppy love for dating relationships until somebody um, helped me to see that we call it puppy love because it's like when you bring a puppy home, but it grows into a dog. And, you know, um, which is okay if you're expecting that. But, you know, as parents, we've experienced this thing before. I haven't. Sorry, kids. Um, of bringing the puppy home. It's like, oh, I love it. And I'm going to care for it. And I'm going to do everything for it. And then it turns into a dog. And the child is like, get that thing away from me, right? And so that's why we call it puppy love. And interesting. We're kind of fickle that way. Um... Then there's, there's God's love. And I want you to know that God's love is a crazy kind of love. And it is contagious. It's meant to be contagious. Now, I'm not necessarily just dovetailing this off of the crazy love study that the church is doing. I, I began studying 1 John 4, 7 through 11, when I was confronted at a point in my life, as, as we all should be, with the weakness of my love, with how pale my love was in compared to how it f I felt it should be. And so I just started studying this passage of Scripture on my own to, to better understand, Lord, how can my love be more like your love? And I'm really excited to share it with you um, so God's crazy, love is a crazy kind of love and it, it is contagious and it's meant to be contagious. Let's look at the passage of scripture together this morning. Um, I, I have the ESV that I use, um, but you can either follow along with it up here, follow along with it in your scripture uh, that you have with you. It says, Beloved, let us love one another. 
For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So in this passage of scripture, and I know this is a little bit small up on the screen here, this is the only, but... In this passage of scripture, we move, we are moved by this passage from this idea of let us love one another, of, of let us be in the practice. Come on, guys, let's do this. Let, let's, let's start this and let it, let's let it keep going. Two, we also ought to love one another. A sense of moral obligation. And, and isn't that what, what we kind of wish we had on a regular basis in our relationships when we find our love falling short? Is, man, I just wish I had a constant sense of, I just, I just really want to, to love the way I should. I, I want to have a sense of how ought I love in this moment, in this situation, with this person. So I want to, want you to see that it's in these verses between that I would hope you will get a grasp of this idea of how crazy God's love is and how it's meant to be contagious for us in our relationships with each other. There's a lot in this passage talked about with, um, <clears throat> with love. I mean, it's used 11 times. And the type of love that's described here, we, we kind of went through all the different ways you can talk about loving someone or something. But the type of love that is described here is God's unconditional love. You know, we, we have a very um, much less uh, descriptive language in English than 1 John was originally written in here. And, and in the Greek, there is a lot of different terms for love. And so the original readers would have picked up qu quickly on this. And that's the only reason why I ever refer back to the original languages so that we can get an idea of how this passage would have had an impact on its original readers. The original readers would have picked up pretty quickly that this passage is listing off bam, 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 Descriptions of God's love, unconditional love, from the term that would have been used here. So it's describing an unconditional love. You could call it a love that is not for the purpose of getting something for yourself. Okay? So it's not, I've got a goal here with my love to get this for myself. You could describe it as nothing you can do or say is going to change this love kind of love. You need to describe it as a choice maybe over a feeling. Okay? We struggle with loving unconditionally without any conditions put on our love. As parents, we find ourselves saying or thinking things like, after all that I have done for you, this is how I'm treated. Right? Or or maybe the, our love gets tainted by anxiety. Haven't we covered this before? Do we really have to go back here? Right? You're tromping on my, my hope that you're, you know, progressing at this moment. As a spouse, we can struggle with this kind of love. And we say or think, you know, we've kind of done things your way. Isn't it time we did things my way today? You know, I, I, you know I, can, I can do this sometimes. Maybe there's something I want to get to around the house or something. And I'm really giving of my time, giving of my time, giving of my time. And then I'm asked for one more thing. And I can just kind of be like, oh, 
I've given enough. I have stuff to do, you know? Um, or or uh, maybe in our friendships. I said I would be there, but I've reached my breaking point. I, I'm fed up with it. And guys, I just share this with you guys because these can be markers for us of, of when it is that we have, you know, kind of like, okay, wait. Okay, now I'm seeing this is love with conditions. All right? Jay, is it possible? Am I coming out of these monitors? No? Okay. I'm really in my head. Um, <laughs> um, so moving into this, this idea of unconditional love, I want you to understand and get a perspective on this first because I, I, it's really easy for this to turn into a list of, okay, now I need to un- add unconditional love to the thing that I need to do this week. Um, when I was learning how to drive, I, uh, I had this problem with worrying that I wasn't going to stay in my lane. Okay? And so what I figured out that I was going to do with this and, and how I was going to keep this myself between the yellow and the white lines was I would look at the hood of my truck and I can just picture it just where this little um, uh, change would happen in the hood of the truck and I figured if I could keep the yellow line coming into the hood of the truck you know meeting the hood of the truck at that point then I was okay all right and so then there was the question of what about the position of my head because if I lean this way it's going to change the perspective so I was trying to keep my head in the same place, driving, staring at this yellow line where it met the hood of the truck, right? And for some reason, people kept honking at me coming the other way because I'm driving like this and I'm like trying to hug because I was just like, how do you keep this big vehicle on this little strip of road and not go into the ditch or not go into their lane? I mean, it was just, it was kind of like, it took me a couple days here of driving to school being like, okay, there's got to be another way because I'm really ticking off the people that are driving this way because I, I guess I'm too close. So maybe move the line a little bit further that way, right? Well, you know, anybody, if you've taught someone to drive or if you've, you've thought, if, you, if you're as cerebral as I am, you've thought through this, you know that the answer is that you keep your eye on the horizon, right? You look out at the point of the road, maybe, if you really have to think about it that hard, of where the road kind of goes over the horizon and you just kind of aim down the road. And somehow, the car goes there. Right? And so the reason why I share that with you is for you to understand this idea of unconditional love is a horizon idea. Okay? This is an idea of something that God, if you have a relationship with you, wants to work on you for the rest of your life. Okay? It's something that you will be reminded of every day, of how far short you fall. And it's something that he works on with you. It's something that you're just meant to keep your eyes on. It's not something to go home, like, I'm going to list off all my relationships. I'm going to list off all the ways that I'm... I mean, that's a good way to maybe come to a point of repentance and asking God to change you but if you go away from that saying okay now I've got to keep an eye on all these how am I going to stay loving you know that is not the intention of this the intention of this is for help us to understand what is the horizon that we're aiming for in our walk with the Lord and and to see his unconditional love and if we're growing in Christ likeness in our relationships what is it that we're growing in all right, so let me get that across. So, first of all, unconditional love is our calling. We learn in this passage. It is our calling. He's called us out and said, Beloved, let us love one another. In other words, like I said, let us be in a habitual practice of love. And being that it is let us love one another, this is a reciprocal atmosphere of the body of Christ that we are to be in of loving one another and moving and growing using our relationships with each other to grow in unconditional love for one another a reciprocal nature 
So it's not like, okay, there's a, you know, the 80-20. You know, the 20% is trying to practice unconditional love with this 80% that is not. You know, it's not like that. So it's not a martyr complex here. There is meant to be a reciprocal relationship that we're growing in, in unconditional love. But I want to point out something also, that this is practiced by those who have received God's unconditional love. Those that are, that are beloved. To, to lay the standard of unconditional love on someone that has not experienced unconditional love, the unconditional love of God, is, is hard. We shouldn't expect someone who does not have the Holy Spirit, who does not know Christ as their Savior, we should not be expecting that person to be loving us in the way that God has called us to love them. Okay, let's keep that in mind. Um, but notice what is said here. His reasoning here, let us love one another, is, is this strange idea for love is from God and God is love. Um, we sang a song today about how whole, holy God is. Am I doing something wrong up here? Okay, well, Jay's working it out. That's great. Um, I'll go from robot voice to man voice here. But, but the idea here is that every action that flows from what God does is loving in the same sense that every action that flows out of him is holy in the sense that you know God is is holy in all that he does he's set apart in all that he does and he is loving in all that he does everything that we know about love comes from the fact that God created this world the very fact that every person is searching for love and is convicted in their heart when they do not have love flows out of the fact that they are made in the image of God if he didn't exist, love wouldn't exist. Along with all the other things that wouldn't exist. I would actually argue that that's the definition of hell. It's not, I, I would argue that hell isn't necessarily a created place, but a place of God's absence. And everything that he is, is not there. And so with the absence of that, you have hell. So, so the argument here is that if we are becoming more godly, then his love is infecting us more and more because he is love. And, and if he is within us, if we are growing in who he is, then we are growing in our love, deepening in our love even. So it's our calling um, what if I were to show up at your house and you came down to the breakfast table and there I am, you know, eating breakfast and, and you walked in and you were like, hey mom, hi dad. I was like, hi sis, hi bro, you know. And you're just kind of staring at me like, hi, what's JD doing here? You know, eating your breakfast and then say, uh, you come to the dinner table. Hey, what's for dinner? And I kind of sat down you know, and it's time to go to bed. And I'm like, where do I sleep? And you're like, okay, wait a second here. What are you doing here? And I was like, oh, well, I'm a part of your family. Well, what do you mean? I'm, I'm, I'm a family member. You know, think, uh, what are some ways, you know, that you would, um, learn, you know, you, uh, that I would be proving to you? Uh, you know, this must be from me dropping it earlier, you think? <laughs> no, I moved that. <laughs> That's right. It happens every day. Um, I got a smaller pocket down there. Um, there'd be a lot of different ways that you could prove to me that I was not a member of your family. You know, DNA tests. I don't look like you. Maybe I don't know who. I don't know who belongs in your family or something like that. Okay. Um, Use a handheld. Battery. Good. 
good. So there would be a number of ways that we could use in order for you to prove to me that I do not belong in your family, that I'm not a member of the family, that I'm not, you know, I should have your blood, you know, through my veins, DNA, whatever. And, and that's the nature of the argument here, that whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. It's not a nature of, okay, this is not a pathway to knowing God. He's arguing that it's our love, our growth in God's kind of love that proves to us and to others that we are born of Him. So it's very important that you know here, this is not a pathway to God. In fact, the verb tense here is, has been born of God with the present result that the person is a child of God. Whoever loves, this is a way that that he is showing that person and showing the world, yes, you are my child. This is kind of one of those things that Romans 8.16 is talking about, God's spirit testifying to our spirit that we are children of God. This idea of, it says, uh, is born of God and knows God. This is an experiential knowledge of God. They have experienced God. They know him in the sense of, yeah, you know, it's not like I know about him. I've, I've read about him, so I read up on the manual of how to grow in God's love. It is, this person is experiencing God. The person who loves has his spirit within them, and this person is experiencing him. And that's the, the source of the fact that they love. And they're growing in an unconditional love. So growing in an unconditional love is a result of being born of God and knowing God. He's getting there. You'd say, why didn't you just say that? But um, the opposite, opposite observation is true here then. Anyone who does not love then does not know God. The idea here that is that God infects our relationships with other people. Who he is becomes flows more and more out in our relationships with other people. So the follower of Christ, the person who has God's spirit indwelling in them, should be growing in an unconditional love. We should be measuring our relationships in the type of love that reflects God's love for us. We should be, we should be convicted about our lack of unconditional love. And, and we should be grateful, even. We could be, let me say. We can be grateful, even for those people that require unconditional love. And I'll touch on that in a second here. We can be grateful for those people that require that unconditional love. So the second idea here that comes out of this passage, not only is it our calling, unconditional love becomes visible in us. It becomes visible in us. Um, maybe you're familiar with the Disney cartoon Robin Hood, right? Okay, where, um, you know, it's animals playing the characters, which immediately eliminates it for my daughter Hannah. She has no interest in movies that have talking animals. Um, Robin Hood is a fox. Maid Marian happens to be a fox, too. I don't know what they're saying by that, but... Um, Okay, so I'm going somewhere with this. Um, King John, or Prince John, he wants to draw Robin Hood out. He wants to, to be able to capture Robin Hood. And so he sets up the Golden Arrow competition. The archer that is able to come, and it's, it's everybody in the kingdom can come and compete uh, in archery. And the person that wins receives the golden arrow, but also receives a kiss from Maid Marian, right? And so the thought is, well, Robin Hood is going to come out. And even if he's disguised, he's the best archer in the land. So he's going to be the one that wins the competition and we'll have him and we'll know who he is and we'll be able to capture him. So Robin Hood, sure enough, uh, the sheriff of Nottingham, he... Uh, through, through cheating he scores a bullseye 
And Robin Hood, sure enough, by he's there in disguise, but by some you know, amazing archery ability. He also scores a bullseye, splitting the sheriff of Nottingham's arrow in the process. And King John realizes, aha, this is him. We've got him. Seize him. Right? So why am I sharing this? This idea where it says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. In that idea, we are the bullseye of God's love. And his, it's, like, it's like we are the bullseye and his love is that arrow. And in loving us with his unconditional love, he and his character and his love is then revealed to the world. That's the idea that his love is made manifest to the world in and among us by being the object of his love. What an amazing blessing that if, that if you know Christ as your Savior, he has chosen to make you the target of his love so that he could make himself visible and who he is visible to the world. I don't know about you, but that really puts me in awe of my relationship with him and the honor and the grace and the blessing that that relationship is. Notice the result here. The result, talk about a fringe benefit, so that we might live through him. So that we might live through him. And that's, that's both the purpose of it, but it's kind of also the result of him making himself known to the world by pouring his love out on us. An amazing thing. So like bringing a telescope into focus, John brings God's love into focus in this when he starts talking about just how he did this. Uh, unconditional love is focused in Christ, in the person of Christ, in the work of Christ. He says that God loved us before we loved him. God loved us before we loved him. The idea here is that um, we, we would not and we do not love him yet he always loved us. To put it in the order of the passage puts it, God always has loved us even though we would not ever have loved him. And you have to ask yourself, why is it that we would be so silly to never love him? Well, it's got to go back to what we looked at with the fall of man, the corruption of sin the infection of sin in our heart that we're all born with puts us in such a state that we would never, ever love him. That's the, that's the term here that's used. Um, not that we have, and there's no term, there's no time specification on us. We are in a state of not loving God, but yet he has always loved us. Going to the depth focusing in on just what this love is through Christ. So he says, in this is love, not that we would have ever loved God, but that he has always loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Wow, propitiation. Doesn't that just make you feel all warm and fuzzy inside? <laughs> all right, we got it. Propitiation, that's, that's the term it's wrapped up in, so we can all go home, right? Obviously, we, we want to unpack this word a little bit. This is actually a pagan religious term that is used, is, it is turned on its head in an amazing way in this verse that brings our relationship with God into light in comparison with the way that man pursues relationships with, with, with what they think is God. Okay? Propitiation means the appeasement of wrath. 
the appeasement of wrath. So imagine in the, in the religious culture around the people in which this letter is written to, and I would argue the religious culture that surrounds us too, is one of God or the deity being angry with the worshiper or maybe ambivalent, oblivious to the worshiper, but yet the worshiper needs something from that deity. Okay? Maybe it needs blessings on their crops and on their family. Maybe it needs uh, blessings on something else. Maybe it's just, we got to get this God to stop doing what he's doing. You know, flooding the river or, or bringing a, a drought or something like that. And so to propitiate means to appease that wrath so that the God, rather than turning his back to the worshiper, would turn his face to them again and say, Oh, hey. Wow, I feel better towards you now. What do you need? You know, or or maybe they they would be trying to to garner favor from the god so that the god would say, "Oh, man, I just got all these great feelings towards you. Can I can I do something for you?" That that's I I would argue that's what happens in every religion aside from man-based. I'm sorry, a biblical-based Christianity. Okay? So notice what, how God chooses to describe himself here. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the appeasement of wrath for our sins. So who's the one that offended? We are. Who's the one that rightfully is separated from us? God is. But yet, who appeased his own wrath? He did. I mean, that's amazing. It makes me think of the verse of the scripture that says, God is both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. So even though we have done, even as believers, we have done plenty to cause him to not want a relationship with him, with us, he takes this pagan term and turns it on its head and says, I have appeased my own wrath by sending my own son to be the appeasement of my wrath for the forgiveness of sins. Are you seeing here why in this passage of Scripture it moves us from let us love one another to, beloved, we ought if God has so loved us, we ought to love one another. But before moving to that, I want you to see what is it? What is it about God's love that would translate into our relationships, specifically that he shows in this passage? And it's two things. One, he takes initiative. He's initiative-taking in his love even though he's the one offended. And two, self-sacrificing. Those are two ideas here in this passage that describe for us what is this unconditional love that we're called to. I'm sure there's other passages of Scripture that describe also God's unconditional love and the love that we're called to. But here in this passage specifically, he's pointing to his initiative-taking love and his self-sacrificing love in wrapping that up in this unconditional love. Well, so our unconditional love, lastly, it deserves our response. And that's what he gets to here. Then, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. It deserves our response. A God that is so loving is going to infect his children with his love. And we then have a moral obligation then to seek to show this same kind of love to others. So, it could, it could easily be confused here when he says, if God so loves us, to make this idea that if God loves us so much, um, rather than it being if God loves us so much, think of this in the sense of, since in this manner and to this extent, God loved us. We ought to love each other so. 
And that's the idea here of God so loved us, taking the initiative, making it a personal sacrifice, self-sacrificing, initiative-taking love. This is a type of love that we should have for one another. In other words, if this is how we've been loved by God, this is the goal that we should set in our love for each other. Without condition of personal benefit or self-protection. Without condition of personal benefit or self-protection. Um, now, this might sound heretical here, but we have to ask ourselves, does God put limits on his love? Does God put limits on his love? And I'm speaking to this specifically to explain, answer the question that you might be thinking, okay, without self-protection, what about in a situation when this is not healthy? Me continuing down this path of what I think is love in this relationship, in this friendship, okay? Or, or you know, obviously I'm not arguing that you stay in some sort of abusive situation because, well, God's called me to unconditional love. So I ask this question, does God put limits on his unconditional love? And I would argue yes. Because God limits everything to only what will bring glory to him. God limits everything to only what will bring glory to him. I would argue that Jesus did not go to the cross because people wanted him to. Jesus did not just go to the cross because people needed him to. But 1 Peter tells us that for the joy set before him of glorifying God and sitting again at the right hand of the Father, for the joy set before him, he went to the cross, he endured the cross, even despising the shame. So Jesus went to the cross for the glory of God. God sets a standard of glorifying himself to his love. And in the same way, we should set a standard of in obedience to God, in bringing glory to God, I want to grow in a non-self-protecting, unconditional love, initiative-taking love for other people. Okay, so that's kind of a side note here to kind of answer that question that, might be ringing around in the back of your head. So unconditional love is initiative-taking, self-sacrificing, pursuing God's glory in the relationship type of love. Everything is in obedience to God in that relationship. Um, so how is it that those people that are hard to love then are actually gifts to us? This isn't my idea. I read this um, out of a book by a man named Norm Wakefield a book called Equipped to Love. And he argues, and I, and I agree with this, that if, we are, if the greatest thing that we can be doing with our life is growing in Christ-likeness and in growing in godliness, then those people that require an unconditional kind of love from us because it doesn't seem like we're getting anything from this relationship, those people actually are gifts to us because they allow us to grow in what it means to love like God loves. Why should we love one another? Because love is from God. And to love more like Him is an opportunity to grow in what it means to be like Him. And sometimes it's those relationships that we get a lot from it that, that are the hardest to, to grow like Him in that. And, and so... I just want you to see that flip side, that everything, just like every circumstance, is an opportunity to trust God. Every circumstance is an opportunity to see how good and great God is. Every relationship, even those that we don't feel like we're, we're gaining anything from this, if we're living in that relationship in obedience to Him and for His glory, it's an opportunity to grow in His kind of love. So, you know, this is why we shouldn't wait for apologies. Love is initiative-taking, right? 
Young people, this is why you do not want to attach yourself to someone who does not have a relationship with God. You know why? The love that you are searching for, it's only going to flow out of a person's relationship with God as they're looking at their relationship with God and saying, wow, this is the love that I'm meant to have for other people. You'll, you'll, get a, you'll get an education on what conditional love is every morning. You know, I understand that this past year has been a trying time for harvest. Um, and, you know, I can remember in a, in a great experience of being... Um, at our church in Rapid City, and we moved into a new facility, right? Brand spanking new, new office, new carpet, new worship center, all these things. But even in that situation of growth and construction and newness and, and um, celebrating what God had done, even in that situation, I found myself so agitated. I found myself just getting upset about things, the smallest things. And the fact is, is that change is hard. Even when it's changed for the better, it's hard. And a lot of times that can, we, we can end up kind of unhealthy in our relationships because of that. I can remember complaining a lot to, to Kelly about people in my life during that time because, and it was just like, oh man, I'm just, just could, could spit right now, you know? And the only thing I could attribute it to was just the change of being in this new situation, this new building, even in celebrating something new and great. And um, that can make it hard on relationships. We're very unloving at times. And the love that we are called to love with is not a natural love. It is a supernatural love. It can only flow out of us as we're growing in our relationship with God. And again, remember, this is a horizon thing. This is not something that you ever achieve this side of eternity. As long as you're walking in this flesh suit, you will never achieve this. But this is what God wants to work on us in. This is the direction that God wants to grow in us. And it only grows as we cry out to Him to become bigger in our lives and to make us less. To make us less. To take our eyes off of ourselves and to put our eyes on Him. This source of amazing, unconditional, initiative-taking and sacrificial love only grows in our life as we pour our lives out to Him. Now, we're, we're going to be taking communion this morning. And um, as this came up among the elders, um, I just was really impressed with this idea that, you know, that's the, that is the week that we're focusing on. What does it mean to love as God has loved? This idea from 1 John 4. And I was, I was excited about this. And I said, hey, guys, I'd like to do communion at the end of the service. And there's a reason for that. There's an aspect of communion that we oftentimes overlook. And it has to do with our relationships with each other. Have you ever thought about why do we not take, why do we not participate in the Lord's Supper at home by ourselves? You know, like, like your personal time with the Lord? Are you keeping up with the Lord's Supper? You know, it's because while it is a, is a communing with God, it's a one another communing with God. It's a community that he enjoys with himself that we are called to enjoy with each other in our relationships with him. And I get this from 1 Corinthians 11. Now, in Corinth, there was a lot of silly stuff going on, Okay. And their relationships were really frail. And I share this with you guys to know, for you to know, okay, 
There's nothing I'm seeing here that's like, oh man, they need this passage of scripture. <laughs> Not at all. I decided to preach on 1 John 4 before I even left Rapid City. Okay? And it happened that in my scheduling and in the church's schedule, it was on Communion Sunday. Okay? So this is a treat for me to be able to do. And just, I don't know how the Lord might use it. But to point this out, so this is not like, okay, hand slapping Sunday or something like that. Um, he says, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you, Paul speaking to the Corinthians, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. So he's like, and I, and I would believe it. So in verse 23, he kind of describes what's going on. They were having these um, potlucks, you know, and some people brought a lot of food and people that were poor were like, we got tortillas, you know, that's it. And, you know, people that were bringing a lot of food, oh, it stinks to be you, you know, that sort of thing. Okay, so that's how it was manifesting itself there. But he goes into, and this, this is a familiar passage to you, I'm sure, but I, don't, I wonder if you noticed that this is the context that it's in. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now, I, I had heard this, that, that we oftentimes neglect the community atmosphere, the community idea that is behind communion. And just to let you know, I... I, I I studied this and, and checked with some commentaries too and things. When he says, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, um, who has the NIV? Rhonda, would you, would you read verse 29 for me there? I'm not satisfied with the ESV on this. Thank you. There's two aspects to this. Obviously, there's doing this in remembrance of Christ. But the aspect also that Paul is pointing here, whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord, eats and drinks judgment on himself, he's talking about the body of Christ. The people around you. And he's coming down on them in the context of the Lord's Supper. That when you eat and drink, do this, examine yourselves. How? Certainly examine yourself if you have known. But especially in the context of each other. Of each other. And place that on top of what we've been talking about this morning. Maybe, maybe you've been thinking about, you know, there was a line I drew in my love for this person and uh, I've cut myself off from them. They crossed it. Or, or maybe, maybe there's something obvious between you and someone else here that you both know. Okay, we had this conversation and it didn't go well. We haven't talked since then. Paul is saying here in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians and, and the Holy Spirit is describing here 
that we should examine our relationships with each other before we take of communion. And that's powerful. And we've set a big horizon today of unconditional love. So what we're going to do is I'm, I'm going to just ask the Lord, I'm going to close this time in prayer. But we're going to take a five-minute break. And um, it's a, if, if you need to use the bathroom, you're not being unspiritual, you know, please. Um, if you just go over and you're just continuing a conversation, um, that's okay. You know, if you want to, to, you know, search your heart during this time, that's okay too. But if you know that you have that you need to seek forgiveness from someone in this room, I challenge you, do not take of the Lord's body in communion without examining your relationships here in the Lord's body. That's what we're told. Let's close in prayer. Father, as we uh, just prepare ourselves for this communion time, uh, Lord, I... I'm just out here on a limb, Lord, and um, just pray, Lord, that you would allow us to walk with each other in a way that grows us closer to you, Lord, that allows us to participate better in your love, what type of love you have for us, to drink of that, to pour that out for others. Lord, that's where joy is, that's where hope is of becoming more like Christ. Lord, thank you so much. It seems so weak and um, short to say thank you for your love because we could take the rest of time describing to you how we would be so lost without it and how it gives all the meaning to life that it has. Lord, we want to drink of it too in our relationships with each other. So Lord, I just pray that you would prepare our hearts for your supper. And um, thank you, Lord. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, um, we're going to...